All right, Joe Beningo with you here. The Oh, The Pain podcast. It is May the 2nd, amazingly enough, 2022. The Joe Beningo, Oh, The Pain podcast, of course, brought to you. I have a litany of sponsors by Beach Camera, by the Hackensack Brewing Company. We'll, we'll be doing another live podcast on Friday, May the 13th, by KZ Sports Marketing, by Anita Discount Tire, by the great Blue Hill Golf Course in Pearl River, New York, and by the Sidebar in Hackensack, New Jersey. And on Monday, generally, we do our interviews. And today, we have one of the legends from all the years at WFAN. Uh, great update guy, great play-by-play guy, great Met fan. I mean, one of the great Met fans of all time. He's right up there with, on a short list of those. And that's my good buddy, Bobby Usla. Bobby, how are you, bro? No, I am great. Who is not sponsoring this podcast? That is that's a great lineup you got going. Not too there. bad. Not too bad. And and we even got it. Once we get into the football season, I get I get DraftKings in. They they sponsored me during the NFL season. So uh, you know we got a we got a lot of different things going on with that. So uh, hopefully it's going to get bigger and bigger. And we're we're working on it. There's no doubt about it. It, it's it's great. And who could have thought? And and I've we've discussed this many times. Well. So I'll repeat the story that I was literally the first person to let you when you were full time, right. not, right. you know, not when you were trying out for your right. fan gig, right. but the first full time night when you became the overnight host, I literally let you in the door there in the sub basement in Astoria. That was uh, 95, 95, yeah. 95, bro. So who yeah. would have thought here we are in 2022 and you're doing something that nobody could have even conceived of back in 1995 but you know it's 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 oh the pain podcast actually these days joe it has to be uh, oh absence of pain (laughs) well well, right now well let's say this right now uh, obviously our mets are rolling bob uh you know 16 and 7 another terrific win last night they won every series they played so far seven for seven you know, Max Scherzer can even when he's not doesn't have his great stuff. Shows you what a bulldog he is, and we saw it again last night. Uh, yeah, I mean the Jets, uh, at least on paper, had a tremendous draft. So, um, you know, right now, uh, not too bad, not too bad. Yeah, and, and I'm sure, and you'll be surprised. I'm pivoting to this, but I'm sure when you have Yankee connected guests on, mm-hmm. if you had them now or next week, who would have thought that they'd had right. the best record in baseball? Right. The, ab- right. the absence of pain. It's unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> Enjoy no, it while really, we can, right? There's really, really not too much going on right now. You know, uh, before we even get into all the stuff with the Mets and, and all of that, now, you officially last week retired from the fan. Okay. You, I know you retired full time, but you are going to still do some part time updates and this kind of thing. Tell everybody about that, Bob. Yeah. And actually, I still have a couple of weeks to go, Joe. Um, you're right. It was supposed, this was supposed to have been my first week as a, I'll say semi-retired. Right. Uh, but where I am right now is that as of May 12th, only my last full-time day at the fan and also CBS sports radio where uh, the anchors now double, right. they also right. appear there as well. That'll be my last day there full-time, but I do intend to stay on uh, on a part-time basis. I have been, as many have been during the uh, pandemic, which we're fortunately coming out of, um, been working from my home. And um, right. it was that was circumstantial. So 
I made the decision that when the order, which was expected when the edict was given to come back to the studios, that, uh, you know, Joe, you can relate to this. I had done a lot of commuting in my life, mm. probably mm. Uh, enough commuting in my life for, you know, five other people. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or bad thing. This is the way it was. I was nuts. I used to drive from Hamden, Connecticut to Astoria every day. And, uh, you know, what? Long, years and years of that will catch up to you. And I said, you know what? Time to bring the plane not in for a complete landing, but at least uh, get close to the runway. So, um, yep, I'm, I'm pretty much done except for the occasional part-time shift, but I'm happy to be able to stay somewhat involved uh, part-time because I enjoy the work and certainly I enjoy the fan. Yeah, well, I mean, look, uh, you know, it's hard to believe. It's my, when I talk about my fan days, it's hard to believe it's come and gone, Bob. I've got to tell you that. I mean, I was there oh. for 25 years. I mean, where, where have, I say this all the time, you know, especially to the kids, you know, I say, look, here's one thing about time. The older you get, the faster it goes. You know, so there's no speed. question about that. It, it, you're going downhill and you're going so fast. You really, yep. it makes your, you're like, wait a minute, what? You know, I have three grandkids now and you have grandchildren. Yep. yep. And, and, and and the oldest one is, you know, she she's eight years old. She's going to go <laughs> to the senior, she'll right, be right. the senior prom before you know it. They're going to be looking yep. at colleges. Yep. Like, what the heck is going on here? So you're right. You know, I look, I think back at, I just mentioned 1995. I was a couple of years earlier. 93 was my first year at the mm -hmm. fan. I mean, gee, you think oh, it wasn't that long ago, it seems, but in another sense, it was a long time ago, but you, you're right. You nailed it. What, the older you get, it's like, whoa, man, fasten your seatbelts, your shoulder harness, everything you got, because you got to hang on because it goes fast. Yeah, it really does. You know, and even this, uh, you know, year and a half now that I've been retired, I mean, you would think, ah, oh, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's it, it, the days are long, you know, no, 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 it's going, it's, it seems to be going even faster, Bob, than when I was working. I mean, it, it's crazy how that works. It really is crazy. Yeah. I'm going to have to talk to you about, um, you know, I have some ideas how, how I want to fill the right, days right. now, because uh, like you and you and I are pretty close to the same age. Ever since I got out of college, Joe, I've done nothing but work. Yeah. And, yeah. and in many, many, many years over that 45, 50 year span, whatever the heck it is, I had multiple jobs. So I'm not going to say I was a workaholic, but work definitely was the center of my life in many ways, in addition to my family. And, you know, that's now not going to be the case. It won't be the central thing in terms of my schedule. In terms of, okay, on this day, I've got to be prepared to do this job or maybe get ready mentally for the job that's coming up tomorrow. That's, that's no longer the case. And it's an adjustment you've made. So I, I think we're going to be talking a little bit more uh, beyond the podcast so I can get some uh, life tips from Joe B. Well, I don't know if you want life tips from me. I, I, I did play a lot of golf. <laughs> I play as much, I, although my game is really in the, in the toilet right now. I am not playing. Really? Last yeah, I'm, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I, you know, you, this is how golf is. You know, you, you play and you get to a certain level and you think, okay, you know, I'm not too bad at golfing now. And then the golf gods come down and let you know that you're really not that good. You know, <laughs> I, I always say this, Bob, it, it, I've been playing like about 20 years or so now. It took me 20 years to get bad, okay? <laughs> like, not like I'm bad now. You know, like uh, there was a time when I just couldn't play, you know? Yeah. Yeah, now, yeah. now I can play, but I'm bad. You know, yeah. I have my days when I have 
you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I got a, I told you, I think I've told you it's, I got a couple holes in one. I got two holes in one. I got nice plaques on the other side of my, my basement down here commemorating those, but uh, you know, very lucky, which just shows you, and you could say shit here. So I will, you throw enough shit at the wall, you know, you play enough, you'll get lucky occasionally. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, well, I'll give you my analogy. I am not a handyman. In fact, right. my late wife and my boys. I have a handy woman, thank God, Bob, because I am yeah. not, I can tell you that. Well, I need to borrow Terry occasionally because here's the, the way I would look at it in terms of your golf description. Now I have a condo, so I've downsized. Right. And right. because things are smaller, I think, okay, I can, I can fix that. I can construct that. I have just enough knowledge to be dangerous and inevitably <laughs> I'll mess things up and, you know, right, make, right. make, you know, somewhat, um, you know, semi-dangerous situations, uh, as you would say, a disaster. Right. So, yeah, I, uh, I should, I should let the handyman or Terry handle the jobs that I've tried to tackle around here now. And it's maybe if it involves duct tape, I'll be okay. But other than that, yeah, I can be very dangerous when it comes to the projects as you can be dangerous on a golf course. Yeah, well, I, well I'm a much more dangerous if I was trying to be a handyman than I am on a golf course, Bob. I can tell you. <laughs> I, I, I'm lucky I can, I, let me put it this way, bro. I can, I'm lucky I can change a light bulb. You know, I'm lucky I can go that far. So, uh, well, you know. Here we can, till, we can kill two birds with one stone. I live across the street from a golf course. So what we're going to do is you're going to come up and play golf, and then I'll right. borrow Terry for the day. You can there bring you her up. You can do some <laughs> Well, I, the only thing I'll say to that, Bob, it would be very hot, difficult to keep Terry off that golf course with me. I know. Tell you. you know what? He loves it. We'll make my place the 19th hole. You can both come over. And we'll there you go. Me. There you go. Watch the little Mets. <laughs> there you go. We're talking to the great Bob Usler, of course, legend at WFAN. The guy, as he said, who let me in the door way back in September of 1995 for the first time. It might have been before that. It might have been when I was doing the uh, overnights in the summer, my first real. I okay. It might have been then, Bob, like, like maybe July of 95 when I was still not full time. But I was kind of like doing my uh, trial run, if you will, uh, yeah, to, well, to get to full time. You have a lot of people listening to this podcast right now who, not many, because you have great fans, a long, you know, long running fans. Uh, but, you know, I remember you as Joe from Saddle River. Right, uh, of course. You know, and there are a lot of people who, who Joe yep. from Saddle River, you know, I'm not breaking news. People know you and your story. But, uh, you know, I was a Mike and I was, I was one of those guys, Joe, who I actually taped the first segment. I have a tape, a cassette of the fan, July 1st, 1987. Wow. I have a cassette recording that just because I thought it would be a big moment. Um, because like you of a certain age, I can remember Art Rush Jr. Yep. I remember oh, John Sterling doing talk radio. Yep. yep. You know, but the fan, obviously, as we both know, was the great experiment. And I was I was a radio guy. I was working in Connecticut radio at the time that the fan went on the air. So I taped the first and still have the first, you know, Susan Waldman doing the update and that just the first few minutes of the fan. My point being, I've been into the fan long before I worked at the fan. And I was listening to Mike and the Mad Dog from sure. day one. 
and was aware of Russo from day one when he was doing the Saturdays and kind of making a name for himself. Mike and Eddie Coleman, when they were together as a team and you as a caller. And it's, it's, you know, Joe from Saddle River was really the first, it wasn't Joe Beningo who made the impression on me, it was Joe from Saddle River. So it was pretty cool to see what happened to you and then literally be there doing my updates and an anchor at the fan when you showed up and started doing shows. I'm like, you know, how this is, you know, this station is really, come a long way when we now are able to have people like you, mm-hmm. a caller, somebody who's just, you know, out there as a fan and passionate, New York centric, come in and do a show. And that's what the fan was, is, was, and always will be all about that New York centric, passionate sports fan who either is doing programming or is listening and contributing. So it's, it's great to still be able to, you know, be with you all these years later and, and talking about something that uh, for, you know, for both of us really has been such a major part of our lives. Now, Bobby is, besides being a great update guy, and I mentioned great basketball play-by-play guy, is, is one of the quintessential all-time Met fans. Bob, what, what, how, many, how, many, how many consecutive opening days now for you, for the Mets? How many is it? I'm, yeah, since the pandemic doesn't count because I couldn't be a cardboard cutout that day. No, no. They should have yeah. had one for you, though, Bob. <laughs> I guess you could have bought one, right? Well, weren't they selling I, cardboard cutouts? Yeah, they, they were. They were. And I had a few people ask me why I didn't because I'm, I'm too cheap. <laughs> no, I well, I mean, I understand. There, but um, I, uh, I've i been to 48 consecutive wow. home opening shows. Unbelievable. Uh, and I've actually, that was, there was one that came before this. Um, the thing I would have gone to many more, but my parents, they were, they didn't, you know, no, you're going to school. You're going to school. My dad was a, my dad was a big Brooklyn Dodgers fan. That's where I get it from. I went to the polo grounds with my dad in 1962. He took, that was my first Mets game at the polo ground. I never went to a Mets game at the polo grounds, by the way. I I never did. No, I'm surprised. No, I I never, never got to one at the polo. My first one was it. Uh, my father had passed away. I think my first. Uh, was 67 was my first time at Shea Stadium. Wow, I'm a little surprised. Now, look, I know you've been following this since basically, you know, you were conceived probably. I mean, you're you're a sports guy, so it was in your blood. But yeah, I would have guessed that, if not the polo grounds, a little earlier than that. Um, Well, anyway, that, that my first opening day finally came when I was in high school, 1971. And People talk about the Tom Glavin game being the coldest game they've ever been at on opening day. Mm-hmm. You might remember they, you know, they got lit up that day by the, uh, the Cubs. I think right. it was the Cubs. And it was, it was cold. I dare anybody to have been there in 1971 on opening day. I went with my dad. It was the Mets and the Montreal Expos. Uh, Tom Seaver versus Carl Morton. Joe oh, Morton. It was snowing. It was sleeting. <laughs> the wind was blowing. My dad, God rest his soul, he couldn't take it. Uh, he actually, you might remember in Shea Stadium, they had those restrooms with the electric blow fans. The yeah, heaters. Oh yeah. Yep. He, he, he went in the men's room and he's standing under that, that thing that was making you know, like industrial fan type noise. And he got warm. I stayed in my seat and they called the game in the fifth inning. It just, the Metro winning, I think, 4-2, and enough is enough. They called it after it was an official game. 
that was the coldest day I've ever been at a ballpark. And that was my first opener in 71. My streak began in 74. And I went to both opening days that year. Uh, a buddy of mine from high school. Now we were, uh, he actually went to the same college I did. Right. We, um, it was, it might've been spring break. And we went to the vet and we went to opening day in 74. This is now we had been the same buddy. And I had been to all the world series games. I went to Pete Rose fight game with Harrelson. Yep. Uh, so we were still flush with 1973. Playoffs. And uh, I hadn't been opening day in 73, but in 74, we were ready to go, my buddy and I. So we went to the vet, and the Mets were, I think it was 3-2. They were leading the Phillies, and um, Tug McGraw comes in the game. <laughs> Ironic, right? Tug McGraw against the Phillies. Right. And, but he was, of course, you know, the hero of 73, or one of them. And uh, he gave up a two-run homer to Mike Schmidt. Game-winning homer. Schmidt looks at that homer. I, I read some of Schmidt's biography he says that moment was like a defining moment in his career it gave him the confidence he said he knew I was going to be a great player and then my buddy and I went to Shea opening day 74 the Mets and the Cardinals and I've been going every year since you know I haven't stopped and I'm lucky I'm lucky because you know life circumstances can get in the way it's just turned into something that every year I've always for me Joe opening day is like you know, Christmas, New Year's yeah. Eve. Is a no, holiday. I understand. Yeah, every every employer I've ever had, and there have been a lot of them, I've always made it clear that I'll work holidays, but I won't work Mets opening day. <laughs> well, that is hot, like you said. Yeah. That is a so, holiday. So, yeah, that, that's become a nice tradition. A lot of people have shared it with me. Uh, in fact, Steve Summers went with me this year. I know. You told me that. You took Summers. Uh, another yeah. Ex, another former FAN employee for a long time. A guy who – and by the way, Bob, I'm going to ask you one thing because I'm kind of not getting the top of your head here. I hope to – so kind of kind of get yourself back a little bit, I think, to uh, just get – Yeah, how about, how's there that? There you go. There's Bob. Oh, look at there he is. Bobby, <laughs> you're a good you – you still don't look a day over 45, Bob, I want to tell you. <laughs> I appreciate that, Joe. I uh, <laughs> the, the hair gives it away, but the well, fact that I still have the hair, so I'm, I'm it was gray as it can get. I'm fine as long as it doesn't start dropping off. My that's why. Head. I, that's why I go with the hat, Bob. I mean, you know, <laughs> now, you're still looking good, Joe. No, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. Talking to the great Bobby Yusey. Yeah, but it's unbelievable that we going back. You said you went to opening day with Steve. It's it's hard to believe. You know, guys like us that we were around so long. That Steve is not there anymore. I mean, I, I ne if, if you ask me one guy who I felt would never ever leave radio, it would have been Steve Summers. I got to tell you, I agree. And, to me. and you know, I'll tell you what. Since there are a lot of your listeners to this podcast who would be probably interested in hearing a Steve update, I'm going to tell you that I've been out with him twice uh, since his retirement. He came up. Right. I live in Stamford, Connecticut. Right. And right. He, he called me and his wife wanted to basically throw him out of the, the townhouse for the day because Couldn't they needed it anymore right right well they needed a deep clean and what a surprise right they needed a deep clean of the townhouse where steve summers lived <laughs> wow. i joke because steve would be the first to talk about how every monologue he's ever written every coffee stained monologue is somewhere stashed under a couch or under a bed or in a ceiling. Is that, is that really true? I didn't know that. Steve, Steve well, has everyone, because he would write well, on those yellow, you know, those yellow, yeah. like uh, whatever kind of paper you thought. Oh my God. Every, it every seems model. that way. I don't actually know if that's literally true, right. but you shared an office with them. So you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I understand. So, 
So he was home during the pandemic doing a show. So I can imagine that the, these monologues just literally piled up to the ceiling after a while because, yeah, he's a pack rat. But he needed to, uh, they needed to clean out the, the townhouse. So he called me up and he wanted to come to Connecticut <clears throat> to go up to one of the casinos. And I said, Steve, I, I think he thought I still live much farther up in Connecticut. Oh, he's talking like Mohegan Sun all the way up there? Yeah, like yeah. See, he's wanted a getaway day. Right. So right. Um, he called me up and uh, I said, come come up to Stanford. It's very close to New York City and we'll go out. And we did. And uh, we, we talked for a long time that day. And then on opening day, I have a good buddy of mine, not the same one as 74, another one who has gone to many of these opening days and he was traveling at a family trip to take. So I invited Steve. So we got together for a long time that day. What I'm leading up to Joe is he's doing great. He's doing good. great. Good. I thought, meaning, I think you probably would agree with me that hit the rhythm of that show was, you know, it was really everything he, he just it consumed him. You know, he watched the games religiously and he was always writing on that legal pad. And I thought and that he once listened he to all the shows too, Bob. I mean, he would listen to yes. everything during the day. I mean, there's no doubt about that. All yes. Yes. You, you and Evan and you and whoever, you know, if it was sit, you guys influenced him because he would often take what you guys had to say and it would influence him and he'd run with it. And you're right. He'd listen to every show. He'd listen to, you know, when Mike, when Mike and Chris were on or Mike by himself, uh, a lot of what Steve did it was influenced by that and watched everything. So I thought once that was taken away from him, um, he would he would kind of lose something in terms of just his you know physical well-being. But he's great. And he did admit to me, and I, I don't think I'm talking out of school here, that he felt tired. He thought that um, he thought he wasn't producing as well, meaning, you know, right. he, the one thing about Steve is that when he talked about writing down all his ad libs, it was the truth. He wrote down oh, everything. He wrote everything down. And, and it was a gift. Everything. He wrote, he wrote, he wrote, and he wrote, he was prolific. I mean, the stuff he came up with, he wrote it all down in longhand. And it was, he was, con you know, you'd, he'd, he'd go back there in that little cubicle of his, and he'd write these monologues, and they were brilliant, but they were all written. And, you know, he, he, he was good. He was quick. He could think on his feet and come up with a good one-liner. But all the material he produced that you heard in those legendary monologues were handwritten. And he said they were becoming harder to write. You know, he it reached the point where he it just wasn't coming as quickly, he said. And again, I, I don't think I believe I'm talking out of school. I think he would tell you this, in a, in a, you know, if he was sitting here talking with you right now. So I was happy, A, that he had come to the realization that, um, OK, maybe this isn't happening as, you know, as easily or as, he's not being as efficient as he wanted to be. And he's really doing, he's doing well. I'm not, I was really happy to hear that uh, him say, you know, I, I'm okay. <laughs> Cause I was worried when I was like you, man, the fan without Steve Summers, is just not the same. It's not the fan, but you know, what, what it comes down to is Joe's what we were talking about earlier, you know, time is, you know, time takes care of everything. And we, you know, we move this thing along and now we're all in those next phases. Yeah, Bobby Eusler is with us, of course, one of the legendary uh, voices of the fan for all those years, doing the updates, uh, great Met fan, does the best. Now, you're still doing, Bobby, you're still doing the Fairfield basketball, right? You're still uh, doing a play-by-play -play there, right? 
Yeah, that's the one. That's the one job they're gonna have to take me out on the stretcher, Joe. Right. Um, no more is, WNBA. That's done now, right? Correct. That became that was logistical. Uh, I I mentioned a few moments ago. I used to live farther up in Connecticut. Anybody who knows Connecticut geography, I lived in Hamden near Quinnipiac University, which right. is kind of a right. pretty good reference point for people who don't know where Hamden is. That's pretty well known school now, Quinnipiac. It is. It is. Uh, I live right near on the border of Cheshire, Connecticut, home of Brian Leach, uh, Brad Osmus. Uh, so I was in central Connecticut fairly about an hour from uh, the Mohegan Sun. And uh, now I moved closer to New York City and Stanford. And I was and that's a haul on a Friday, Joe, driving to the Mohegan Sun. It would take about three hours with traffic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I was like, you know what? Uh, as I said earlier about the commute, getting a little too old to make those kinds of trips. So yeah, I gave that up. And uh, but Fairfield is right here in well Fairfield County where I live, and I, this will be my 35th season. Wow, doing wow. Fairfield and uh, I love it. You know, it's become it's become part of me. And, uh, I've always valued the you know people say hey, you know it's a mid major and you know it's not big time. To me, it's always been big time because people are great. And I've always valued the aspect of having a program. And, um, you know, that, that's there's something to be said for that. You know, that the per, I, I'm saying that you know, I, I think announcers who've been with organizations for a long time, you know, you always hear them talk about that family aspect and um, that, that special connection you make with the place. I have that with Fairfield. So. I don't want to give that up until I think that maybe I can't do the job well enough, but you know, I'm in full. I have, uh, I have my faculties in pretty good shape still. So I'll keep going until they tell me, hey, Bob, you kind of missed this. You didn't do that. Or I'll know, I'll know when it's time to walk away from that too. And you do it. And you're also been filling in, you fill in sometimes for Carino with the net games as well, right? You did a few of those this year, right? Yeah, yeah. Not as many this year. Again, circumstantial. Long story right, short. Right. But uh, over the years, and I think people are surprised when they hear this. Uh, I've been doing that since 2009. Wow. 2000. I've been I've done a lot of because of Chris is great to work with and Capstraw great to work with. Um, I've been kind of like Chris refers to me as his backup quarterback. So I, I, I relish that role. And Chris knows that if he calls that, yeah, I'll figure out a way to be there for you. And uh, there have been years where there have been a lot of games and that has been, that's been a joy. I've really loved doing that. And uh, I've done, I've almost done the complete circuit. I, uh, interestingly, last year, Joe, I was on I was on the schedule for I think two or three more Nets games. I said last year. I meant 2020, the pandemic year. And I, the last game I did was the, the um, Nets and the San Antonio Spurs. The next game I had on the schedule was the Washington Wizards. Later in that week, the Washington Wizards would have completed what Chris Carino called my bingo card. I would have done every single NBA team, the Nets versus fill in the blank, every team for whatever crazy reason, I've never done a Nets Wizards game. And oh, wow. that would have been my next game. Wow. If the pandemic didn't hit, but the pandemic did hit 
I didn't do the Nets and Wizards. I probably, just because I think circumstances will dictate, I may fall short of completing the bingo card. But my ultimate point is, is Chris has given me a great opportunity and the Nets have given me a great opportunity to um, enjoy life, you know, in my own unique way. As an NBA announcer, I can always say, you know, I did some of that circuit as well. And it's, you know, it's, it's been one of the great joys of my uh, professional career. Great. 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 Again, I'm talking to the great Bobby Useless. We've got to upgrade here in about eight and a half minutes. So we're going to let you know that, Bob. So uh, when we do that, we'll give you a little heads up as I'm looking on my thing here about upgrading. So, you know, gotcha. all right, gotcha. as we move along here. And I get, I guess my wife's getting in, is uh, starting to do that now. Now we got to get, we got to get into the Mets. You got to be, I mean, 16 and seven. We talked about it. Uh, they've won uh, seven consecutive series. They've never done that before in their history. Uh, every cylinder right now is really hitting. I'm a little concerned about the bullpen, but before we even get to that, they got to make a roster move today. They got to they got to knock two guys off the roster. Now, I don't know if they've done it yet. Maybe you know something I don't well, know. You 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 know, Joe. I actually, for that very reason, I have Twitter in front of me, literally, okay. as I'm speaking to you. Okay. And uh, here we go, Joe. I, you know, this is not. You have it? Do you have the official word, Bob? You got the official word there or what? Right-handed pitcher, Yoan Lopez, as we knew this, has been right. optioned at AAA. Let me guess the other. I'll tell you the move before you tell me the move, okay? Mm -hmm. All right. That we, So there's one other move they had to make, right? Yes. Correct? Well, okay. Yes. Now, the move that should be made, and I doubt they made this move, but to me, the move they should be made is to dump Robinson Cano and get him gone. That's what they should do. Okay, and I don't know if you agree with that, but that's the move that should happen. I'm sure that didn't happen. They probably optioned somebody to AAA. I'm going to say it was Guillaume. Am I correct? Well, here's, first of all, A, I agree with you completely. B, this is how I would, if we didn't, I'm going to tell you in a second. If we didn't okay. know what had happened, I would have looked at it just the way you looked at it. But this way, Giorme, I Giorme, I would not have thought they would designate or, or send down because you had options. Because you need you need somebody to back up Lindor, and he's he's the main guy. Right. Um, Dom Smith last night obviously made a pitch to save his Four job. Four hits last night. Yep. Unbelievable. Um, so you had him, Smith. Uh, actually, wasn't it um, was JD Davis? I think JD Davis, Davis had options. Too. Right. Yeah. So it would have been one of those three, and I'm thinking JD Davis wasn't going anywhere. So circling back, I would have said, "What are they going to do?" And then I agree with you. They have to dump Robinson Cano, and they have dumped Robinson Cano. Wow. How about that? Robinson. Wait, Wow. Robinson Cano has been designated for assignment, bringing the roster to 26 players. Wow. Yeah. You, you know, and let me say this, Bob, okay? We're both forever. We've both been there since day one. I know where you're going. Go this ahead. is the kind of move that the Mets in years gone by would, when the Wilpons on the team, would never make this move. No, Absolutely go. never make. They would have held on. Because, hey, how much money do they still owe Cano? How much is he still uh, owe you? Like 40, 37 million, 30 right. something I mean, million. It's, right, right, right. Yeah, 37, is it, million? I, it's something, something that... It's some absurd number, we know that. Yeah, nuts. My wife's laughing here. Yeah. But it is. 
well, the, the, I guess the only thing that they had to, well, the money, of course, was the number one factor. And you're right. This is the kind of move they never would have made. Never they made. not have been able to make that kind of a move. The other, so that being a given, okay, can you absorb the financial hit? Well, fortunately, the answer is yes, because yep, yep. there's an owner now yep. who can absorb that hit. Uh, but the other thing is, like Lindor talked about it yesterday, uh, yesterday being Sunday. I would be upset, he said, if Cano were to uh, uh, be uh, let go because he's a, he's a great clubhouse guy, he's a great leader. Yeah, the young players love him. Uh, he's inconsistent right now because he's not getting the playing time. His track record speaks for itself. All that being said, you know, I, I think Cano, this is the right move. From Forget the money from a baseball standpoint. He's 39 years old. Yeah. For goodness yep. sake. And yep. you know, coming off the steroid suspension, just forget who he is. And he, he look, you, the eye test said it was time to move on from Robinson Cano. So once you come to that conclusion and you can absorb the money hit, this was, I hate to use the term no brainer, but this was the move and they did it show. So it's another sign that this is, Unbelievable. This, is a, this is a different deal. This is a different time for the New York Mets. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, that's something they would have never done. I, I'm absolutely thrilled by that um, because there's, a, there's to me, I, I watch this team and I say there's tremendous chemistry on this team. Buck Walter's got everybody contributing. Everybody who's contributing to this team is getting playing time for everyone somehow, some way. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't know if you agree with this, Bob, but of all the moves they've made, and obviously Scherzer's unbelievable, and the three guys, you know, Marte and Connor and, and Escobar, the best move they made was bringing in Buck. I mean, it, well, uh, he's unbelievable. Did you watch the post-game interview last night with Dom Smith? Um after they wrapped up the ESPN broadcast, uh, yeah, they go. By the way, but can I just say this too? What, what a disaster! Oh. And I, I, I love David Cohn. He does a great job. But I mean, Eduardo Perez. I don't. He's giving you all these like next gen stats, and he's going on about. I, it was a ball. I think a ball. I don't know if it was a ball. McNeil hit some. I think the the, the double McNeil hit, and he's giving you the, you know, the uh, the hang time and. Uh, uh, the probability of the of the ball being caught and all that. What? Come Joe, on. God, Bob, just please, right. Bob, please, Bob. <laughs> Joe, you're the one. I was on the air with you once. Uh, you and Evan were doing a show. And uh, you, I was coming in to do an update. And you asked me, this is quite a few years ago. You asked me about analytics. And uh, I'll preface it by saying, I understand their value. I understand it. Fine, but leave it to the people in the front office who talk to other front office types and make decisions based yeah. on analytics. Great, good, use them. But for a fan, and this is where I'm going to put my fan hat on, It, I told you on the air, it takes the kind of stuff Eduardo Perez is, is shoving down our throats. It takes one of the things I least enjoyed in my life, math and numbers, and and. I'm, I'm not saying enjoy. I'm an anti-math yes, or numbers I, guy, yeah, at least. but I didn't like it. I didn't like equations yeah. or, yeah. Yeah. I, and it combines it with the biggest love of my life, sports. You know, I'm a fan. I can see it. I can feel it. I know it. I know it's good when it's good. I usually know it's bad when it's bad. I know when a player is not 
performing to his full capability. I know when a guy's jaking it and so on and so forth. The human stuff, the emotional stuff. Keep the freaking, oh. take the numbers and put them somewhere you, you, where the sun doesn't shine, for God's sake. Oh it drives me God. crazy. I, I'm going to repeat myself. I understand the value of it. And right. I'll read, I'll read my, my right. favorite horse writers. If they bring it in and they write about it in a sensible way, it's valuable. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, that, you know, but don't lay it on me during a broadcast, which is confusing and it's mumbo jumbo. Get, get it out of here. So, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and yeah. you know, and yeah. in the graphics, oh God, it just yeah, drives me all right, now we're going to upgrade. Well, I think we're going to have to do because we're going to have to upgrade here. So what we're going to do, Bob, is maybe uh, I think my wife has to. We have to stop this for a couple minutes for her to upgrade. Am I correct? As I look back at the producer. Yeah, so. so what we'll do? What we're going to stop this so we can upgrade and we'll come back to you. Does he have Please to come back? I gotta, I gotta invite him again. Oh, we gotta invite you. All right, we're back, Joe Beningo, with the Oda Pain Podcast. Of course, May second, twenty twenty-two, with the great. A uh, legend, uh, update guy, multifaceted dude, my good buddy, great Met fan, Bobby Yusel. You know, Bob, before we continue, all right, as we had a little glitch, a little glitch in the action, it happens every now and then. You know how it is. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me pop in and let me, just, uh, let me just give a little love to the, to the people here that are paying the bills. First of all, my good friends at the Hackensack Brewing Company. Bob, we'd love to have you come down sometime. It's in Hackensack, New Jersey. Uh, May 13th, a week from Friday, we'll have our third live podcast there. You want to come down, check out all my buddies, Mike Jones, Herb, TJ, uh, my son-in-law, Andre, all of them down there. You know the story on the Brewing Company. It's open 4.30 to 10 Monday through Friday, 2 to 10 Saturday, 12 to 8 on Sunday, 78 Johnson Avenue, Hackensack, New Jersey. Check it out. Again, we'll be there Friday, May 13th with all the uh, trimmings. So uh, you want to check it out, the great Hackensack Brewing Company. And also, my, buddies, my buddy Isaac over at Peach Camera has been with me since day one. He's been in business for over 30 years. He offers all the top brands, LG, Samsung, and Sony. Give Isaac a call, 732-993-6385, 80 Carter Drive. Uh, not necessarily beautiful Edison, New Jersey, but that's where it is. And they'll <laughs> save you some money. Uh, use code JOEBJOEB for 15 bucks off your order of $100 or more at beachcamera.com. Bobby Usler with us. We were, before we got so rudely interrupted, Bob, I don't know what happened. The glitches came. <laughs> the gremlins. Uh, uh, the gremlins. Maybe, I, I don't know. Maybe it was Brave fans as the Mets get ready for a four-game series <laughs> with our favorite team, the Atlanta Braves, here starting tonight. But you, we, were, we were talking about how uh, the, the Mets had to make some cuts. They let the kid Perez go, who was the guy that actually threw it, Arenado, the other day. They put him in yeah. for that. He didn't. And he, and he, I wish he had gotten Schwarber last night, but well, um, Schwarber. I mean, it's time to hit him. He I mean, um, all he does is hit home runs against the Mets. Uh, but be that as it may, Robbie Cano let go, uh, designated for assignment by the Mets. And we talked about this. This is something that the previous regime would have never done with all the money they owe Cano. But it was the right move. And you were talking about uh, Dom Smith after the game last night because we were talking about what a great move it is bringing Showalter in. And uh, Dom got four hits in the win last night. And what did he say after the game? Yeah, well, he was the uh, – then they, they opened up Sports Center by interviewing Dom live on the field. And one of the very first questions they asked him was to explain, ask Dom, the difference between this Mets team and maybe past Mets teams right, and why right. is this team playing so well. 
Dom Smith said, Buck, it's, it's Buck. He said, you've got to start with Buck Walter." He said, and just paraphrasing and kind of abridging what he said, he expects a certain standard of baseball. And we know what he expects. And so far, well, we've been delivering what he expects, but he sets the tone. We all know he's an ultra prepared manager and um, he's very detail oriented, but he's also, and Joe, I hate this word, but I'll use it. He's changed the culture of the clubhouse. Yeah, and I hate it too. <laughs> I, I hate, no, I hate I, you the know word. What, Bob, I think I hate that word. I'm with you hundred <laughs> percent, but he has. He, he has. has. And we'll have to come up with another way of saying it. He's changed the atmosphere. He's changed the way things are done. However you want to phrase it. Buckshaw Walter is a difference maker. Now, you know, and I know that there will come a stage, even in this season, where we question Buck, or there will be future seasons where people are calling for his head. But right now, as we speak on May 2nd, and this team has won seven straight series, and they have best record in the National League, incredibly not the best record in baseball, Joe. Amazing, amazing how the Yankees have won. Was it, how many <laughs> in a row? Nine in a row? I think it's nine in a row for the Yankees now. It is amazing. <laughs> And, and, and let me say this too, Bob, because I got to throw this in there. And the Yankee fans who constantly – I mean, the Yankees have a bad game. You know, Garrett Cole, okay, the guy – he didn't get out of the second inning in that game against Detroit. They're all going delirious. Oh, Cole. Eh, ha, ha. Now they won nine in a row. And, like, you know, they're still not happy. Let's be no. honest. Joe, I'm going to have to – You're happy. Here's Joe, what I'm going to do. no good. You know, you know what to do. I'm going to say this. There's not a Yankees fan in existence that wants to hear anything I have to say about the Yankees. So I won't. But what I will say is I have text. I have a lot, a lot of baseball fan friends, many of whom are Yankees fans. I have texts from them. I have the evidence of what you're talking about, about complaining about this and complaining about that. And this guy's got to go. So, that's all I'll say. I don't have to say anything. And, I have it on my phone. And, and here's something else about it. Well, you and I, who, you know, obviously are Met fans, not Yankee fans. Doesn't it, I have a few Yankee fan friends like this. Doesn't it make you nuts when they give you the gratuitous bullshit? Okay. Now, I don't know. <laughs> this is something, you know, when they suck up to you, when the Mets are good. Do you know what I mean? Oh, oh my Bob, Bob, oh. Bob, Bob. Does it, Joe. Does it, don't you there want to was vomit with that. There was a host. I'm gonna not gonna. I'm not going to give names. There's somebody on our radio station. Is he still there? Is, I'm. Just, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get any. But. But I'm gonna just amplify just what you just said. I know. I know who you're talking about, right? Well, I, maybe or maybe not. But I, here's what I'm gonna tell you. Okay. I heard that attitude, and I talked to the producer, and I said, I want you to tell so and so. Don't you dare patronize Mets fans ever, ever do not go there. I respect, I'll I'll give you a name, Ernie Acosta. I I knew you were going there. I knew you were going Ernie. That's my kind of Yankees fan. Yes, 100%. He hates the Mets. He despises. Yes. That's the kind of Yankees fan. He's not going to patronize me. He's going to tell me he hates my team yeah. and, and he hopes they lose every game the rest of the season. I love that. That's fine. That's where, you're, that's where I – that's the dynamic of New York baseball. 
You know, and anybody who comes at me with, I root for the New York teams. Get oh, the please. hell out of here. That's nonsense. Get That's out of a, here. No, of course. As soon as you wow. say, I root for the New York team, you know, the Yankees are doing well. I'm happy if the message, shut up. You're, you're disqualified. You're actually, get right. out of here. Yeah. So anyway, I couldn't agree with you more. Don't ever, ever go there. Either, either as in this New York yep. fan dynamic, yep. come at yep. me as I can't stand your team. Come at me that way, but don't give me the gratuitous stuff about, oh, you know, you know, pat you on the head kind of stuff. No, go, go take it somewhere else. Yeah, so. that makes me no, no, no. Well, I'm glad we 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 agree with oh, that. Oh, I, oh my God, I can't stand. It. Like you said, Ernie's the guy. You love it. Just tell me how much you hate my team. Right. I, I respect that. I respect that. Right. I, I mean, at least that's that's it. That that also respects the history of New York baseball. And yes, I, yeah. I, I try to. I understand that if you're not of a certain age, you don't get like where maybe I come from in terms of my pro New York Mets and anti New York Yankees bias. But I, I'll, I usually start by saying, okay, the blue, okay. The blue in the Mets uniform, that's Brooklyn Dodgers blue. Right. Yep. The orange in the Mets uniform, that's New York Giants orange. Yes. My grandfather was a huge New York Giants fan. He hated the Yankees because they were rivals. They often met in the World Series. And the Yankees got the better of them. My father was a huge Brooklyn Dodgers fan. He hated the New York Yankees because they were rivals. Yeah. They were in the same city yeah. and often played in the World Series when it was National League versus American League. No playoffs. Boom. Different time, different era. Sounded like the old guy I am. But the fact is, you inherit. I inherited that blood. I inherited National League New York baseball blood. That's where I come from. From the moment I went to that first game at the Polo Grounds to this day, I'm a Nash, I'm a Mets fan, and the Yankees are a natural rival slash enemy. They're in the same city, competing for the same eyeballs, competing for the same TV ratings, for the same back pages. That's a rivalry. So don't tell me there's no rivalry between the Mets and the Yankees. No. Because there is, and there always will be. And you can't be on the fence. You're either in or you're out. That's it. So there's you're my rant. One 100%, one way or the other. Talking to the uh, the great Bob Usley, you know, just getting back to the Mets. And, you know, uh, my wonderful, uh, my great partner for all those years, Evan Roberts, who's doing well now, you know, still with the fan with Carton and all of that. And we would always argue this because to me, without a doubt, and I think you agree with me, the worst loss in the history of the Mets has to be the loss to the Dodgers in 1988 in, in the in – the, uh, NLCS. I mean, I I don't think it's even even close. And I understand 2006. I get that how bad that was. You want to tell me about the World Series against Kansas City in 15 and all that? I mean, okay, fine. You want the 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 uh, the way the years ended in in 07 and 08, the terrible last games of the year and all of that, brutal. Okay, no doubt. But there was nothing worse than the Mike Sosha game. And the losing to the freaking Dodgers, who I hate the Dodgers. I mean, I, I yeah. you know, when I was growing up, I kind of liked the Dodgers. I liked Sandy Colfax. You know, I, I would root for him, except when he pitched against the Mets. He beat him all the time until Tug McGraw finally beat him. But whatever. Pitched a no-hitter against him, the whole thing in 62. 
I didn't hate the Dodgers. I rooted for them in those World Series, certainly against the Yankees in 63, 65, 66, all of that. Okay. Now I hate them. I, I, I couldn't stand Lasorda. Yep. I can't stand them now. You know, uh, the best thing that could possibly beat them in, in the uh, division series in 15 was great. If we played them again in the NLCS and beat them this year, it would be phenomenal because I can't stand them. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can't stand them. It, it, that's it. I mean, I, and I think you agree with that, right? I mean, well, it has to be the worst. Every one of those other moments you talked about, uh, they're all, as far as I, I, I don't look at it in terms of, okay, this was the worst and this one was even worse than that one. Um, they're all just horribly painful, but you can easily make the case that that 88 loss to the Dodgers was the worst. And that Sosha game, of course, was the worst loss in the series um, because that was in essence, the end. That was the end because that 80, you know, we, you know, the history as well as anybody, uh, what it was building toward, you know, starting in you know, a little bit of 80, a little bit in 83 when Strawberry came up and then 84 Gooden, uh, and then, uh, you know, 85 Carter. And then we were building and I met, of course, at Keith in 83 as well. So we're yeah. building, we're building, we're building. And then finally it culminates in 86 with, and, you know, one of the greatest world series games ever. Uh, and then game seven, they win it all. So you, you take a step back in 87, you know, injuries in great part, still, they made a great, you know, they made a run there. Doc also missing, you know, not pitching until June 15th in 87 was a big deal as well. Yeah, Joe, I'll tell you what, the two, real quick story. A friend of mine called me on April 1st, 1987. In fact, I'll tell you his name, you know, him. his name is John Stashauer. Yeah. And, um, he worked at the fan eventually. Yeah. Still, he still does work in sports radio. Right. So anyway, he, he was working at a radio station in Double DBLI in New Haven. And I was working in Milford Highline, Connecticut. We were buddies. And he called me and he said, I, he said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what's up, John? Remember, this is before even, you know, anything. Cable TV was around, but this is how you get your news. He's a radio guy. And he just saw it on the wires. He said, Doc Gooden, he said, he's been, he's going into rehab. He's been suspended and blah, 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 or whatever. Rehab, cocaine. And it was April 1st. I said, ha ha, John, nice try. I said, April 4th. I swear, I swear. Three times I said, John, what's the, you know, quit messing with me. You know, what, what's going, he says, and he's like getting mad at me, he says, I'm telling you, Doc Gooden has been busted for cocaine. He's going to Smithers. He's going to rehab. He's a cocaine addict. Like, what? Right there. Right there. 87 went down the tubes. Yeah. Now, I talked about the injuries, but you nailed it. That day, April 1st, 1987, we, 87, we, we were shot. And even though they made a good run, the Cardinals, as it turned out, they didn't make it. Okay. All right. 87 was a bad year, starting with April 1st. 88, okay, we're back. Yeah. This dynasty is about to re-energize. This that's the thing about the Mets. And to this day, Joe, that's the one thing, and you know this as well, anybody. There's never been sustained success. Never two years in a row. Never the best they have ever done for the playoffs, which is absurd. Yeah, no question. You could say that in the same in the same breath, you say, okay, the great moments have been spectacular. But it's time for sustained success. 
And we were there in 88. And then it wasn't there. And then 89, it went all down the tubes. Yeah. And that became the early 90s. And it took a well, long 90, time. 89 was not a great year. Okay, they wound up, the Cubs wound up winning it that. They only won 87 games that year. They, you know, they came back in 90. They did win 91 games. I mean, they went right to and, they did, they, you know, that Viola won the 20 games that year. Doc, I think, won 19 and 90. Daryl still had a big year, hit like 37 home runs. They won 91 games that year. And then they flamed out in September when they wound up, you know, losing to the Pirates at the end of the year there. Oh. That doubleheader with Franco, I still get on him about it. Oh, God. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh, you know. Right. It's, so then, so 90, was, 90 was kind of, to me, the, the, the end. And then when Daryl left to go to the Dodgers, that was it. You're, you know, you're absolutely correct. And, and the, there is a some, there's an analogy in a smaller way in the mid seventies, because I think of the Mets from 74, right up until they come back in 84 as just, you know, and forget what happened on June 15th, 1977. But, you know, the 1976 Mets team, for instance, they, they, they were, were 10 good. above 500. Right. And, you know, and you Jerry had Kuzman, like guys Jerry like Kingman who won 21, right? Jerry Kuzman won 21 that year. Right, right. So you, you had these like in the Kingman moment, you had right. moments right. and teams right. that gave you moments the way that you're right. The, the early uh, 90 team in particular, but you, in your mind's eye, it all becomes a jumble. Like, Post seventy three until you know, they started to regenerate eighty four, yep. yep. it's just like this one era. Like ah, crap, they never were able to fire. And you're right, there were like those flare ups of good baseball uh, post eighty eight, but really it eventually gave way to the worst team that money could buy, and then just the dreadful years. And then you know under Bobby they finally came back, but circling back eighty eight, that's the defining. There's no doubt. The social home run, oh. I don't, Joe, I can't even watch it. You know, all this stuff's on YouTube and uh, you, know, you, you come up to an anniversary and maybe the Dodgers, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll stumble across something on one, on a baseball website, MLB, and you, you on this day and, you know, baseball history and I won't read it. I, I can't, I won't go there, no. it, but it, you're right. It was, you know, and then Davey Johnson, you know, leaving Gooden in. Oh, my God. Well, that was, you know, look, I mean, I, you know, Davey's a very uh, uh, lightning rod type guy. I mean, look, you say whatever you want. I mean, look, you want to say Gil Hodge. You still got to say Gil Hodge is probably the greatest manager we ever had. But yes. nobody did more, more winning than Davey did. I mean, you know. No. But, that, but that move, because he wanted Doc to, you know, finish that game and get the win. That was the defining brutal move that Davey made. I mean, there's yeah, no other Dave, way around. Davey, in the opposite way, was exactly what the Mets needed. Um, at, at, analogous to how Joe Torrey was the perfect guy for that group of Yankees. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Davey Johnson was the perfect guy for the swashbuckling, take no prisoners Mets. He was the yep. perfect manager for that bunch. Because basically, was. he was like, he was like, I don't give a shit. Go ahead. You know, do what you, as long as you come ready to play. Yeah. Do what you want to do off the field. Davey probably partied as hard as any of them did. He I did. don't know that. I'm not. No, I, no, I, no I think we know that. Yeah. My, <laughs> I think we well, do know yeah, that. My point is, though, he was perfect. His personality was perfect right. for that group of 
Mets. Like Tory was perfect for yeah. those, those Yankees dynasty teams. But then opposite, and the same thing happens with Tory. Once things start going south, now all of a sudden there's no discipline. Davies lost control of the team. They're not listening to him anymore. The way that Tory was seen as too passive with that group of Yankees, you know, later on. So it's funny how the, you know the, it works, and that's and it kind of gets back to Buck. Buck's perfect right now for this particular group of Mets teams. So it's like we've got the perfect jockey, the perfect horse. Let's get it across the damn finish line. You know, one thing, again, we're talking to the great Bob Usler, and we got a couple more minutes here. You know what, Bob, before I do, let me just get a couple more, because there's a thought I want to talk about with Daryl and Doc with you, and I want to get your take on this. So let me just get a couple sure. more sponsors in here. Uh, let, let's, let's talk about the great Blue Hill. I don't even need it in front of me. The great Blue Hill golf course in Pearl River, New York. Love the place. They have three, uh, three nine holes there, 27 holes. Uh, great, great golf course. They got the lakeside, the pines, the woodlands. Go check them out. Go see Big Mike. Go see AJ. Uh, go see Chase. They got the the best pro shop anywhere. It rivals you can. It rivals the PGA store. It rivals uh, uh, Golf Galaxy. Any of them. You get anything you want there. They're going to have simulators coming in in the summer. Check it out. My favorite golf course in the area. Uh, probably get out there and play tomorrow. Blue Hill Golf Course in Pearl River, New York. Go check it out. And I also want to throw in there my, my son Johnny's place, a needed discount tire, Rivervale, New Jersey, Westwood Avenue. Go see Johnny. Go see Ari, his boss. Oil change, any car needs, you need anything for your car, anything. Tires, they got it all. Go check out a needed tire uh, in Rivervale, New Jersey on Westwood Avenue. Tell them that Joe sent you. Okay, Bob Usler still with us. We've got a couple more minutes with him. The great Bob Usler, FAM legend, update guy. Uh, great Met fan, the whole thing, the whole deal goes back even before me, and you know the whole, the whole thing. I always felt we're talking about the Mets. I always felt that Doc and Daryl, what happened to them, it should have been better than it was. We agree. We know what happened off the field, the whole thing. I always felt a lot of responsibility to the Met organization that they did not keep an eye on these young kids more than they should, they, they didn't police them and should have. They should have been more on Strawberry and more on Doc. They were young kids. One kid, Daryl came from LA, knew nothing about New York when he got here. Doc was a 19 year old kid when he came up from, from the streets of Tampa, whatever. They should have been, they were these unbelievable stars and commodities. And the Mets should have had, I don't know, you want to call it a babysitter, whatever. They should have been uh, watched more than they were. Your thoughts? Yeah, that's a good, it's a, it's a fair observation, Joe, because the, you know, the aftermath of what happened to both speaks for itself. Um, so, yeah, you are absolutely correct that maybe they, did, they dropped the ball in that regard. Uh, I, I think it always starts at the top. And I think Frank Cash and somebody who uh, he seemed, you know, stunned by the, the, what we were talking about Doc on April 1st, 1987. He seemed stunned by that development. But you know there are people who knew what was going on. Of course. And, and, well, the parade. And, I mean, the fact that Doc, we, we know the reason. They knew the reason then why Doc missed the parade after yeah. the championship. Well, 
Boy, let's be honest, read, they knew. Have you read his book, Doc Gooden's book? I, I have not. I have not. Oh, Joe. First of all, it's a very good book. Um, he's very revealing in the book. It's painful uh, to him, I'm sure, to have talked right. about some right. stuff in his life. But just the chapter, he describes in detail what he did after the Mets won game seven and then what he did after that. And it's, you know, you just nailed it. That happened. And there had to be people. Of course. There had to be. There there were people. We know for a fact there were people. Bobby, the whole team had to know that. The whole team knew it. Let's be real. Daryl went went looking for him at his house, right? I mean, that's what the story I've seen. Daryl went to his house to get him. To, to, to go to the parade and he there was not he, he never answered the door they had he and and daryl i mean doc writes about how he heard the he right. heard it he right. heard it and he knew he he knew what was happening he knew he was about to miss the parade he knew it it, it wasn't as he was he wasn't in other words he wasn't out he knew he was aware of what but he couldn't respond he physically was incapable of responding. And he writes in detail about what happened. So I think what we have to do is just understand that it was just, is this an excuse? But it was a different time. And, the, and executives and front office types then, I think, were more of the, they took the ostrich routine, you know, or the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, which is bad. I'm not saying... It couldn't happen today, but as you well know, you opening day, Washington Nationals, New York Mets, they had like 114 people introduced before the game. Yeah, I, I, mean, was, I, I know, I know, it, it was ridiculous. It, my point being, you have you have positions on baseball teams, uh, performance coaches, psychologists, assistant psychologists, motivation guys. It's like you can't you lose track of how many people these organizations now employ to maybe help with that kind of a situation. Whereas back then it was just a different time. And it was like, okay, what I don't know won't hurt me. Bad attitude, bad attitude. But in retrospect, you're right. You, you would think, okay, maybe the Mets dropped the ball here too. And uh, had they marshaled, a Doc Gooden and a Daryl Strawberry a little differently, then maybe their careers turn out differently. But coming back, you know, to what ultimately is the only point that matters is they, as you well know, bear ultimate responsibility. Well, they, yeah. Oh, it always comes they, down they, to the they, person. There's yeah, no and, question about it. I and mean, and goes without saying. And to both of their credit, to this, you know, Daryl's now a minister, right? Yep, and yep, and he yep. he tr- and now he's trying to give back and help. And from all, you know, from all accounts, Daryl Strawberry has done a great job straightening himself out. And no question. And, um, and, and, and that's valuable. And Doc, I think, is a day-to-day situation, you know, yeah. and I think he knows that, that. And we root for like hell for him to, you know, make, you know, stay on that right path. Uh, but boy, yeah, what could have, what could have, should have been. I mean, yeah. <laughs> all he, talking about two Hall of Famers, Joe. Yeah, uh, no question. Uh, of course, but you know there there are many of them out there. You know, Doc Gooden and Daryl Sturberg are two of uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of what could have shouldas. And that being said, they gave us not good moments, 
great moments along the way. And, <laughs> And, and with the Mets, and again, I don't know how you feel again. We're talking to the great Bobby Usler. i got a couple more minutes here, Bob, and, uh, and I, I, I appreciate the time and the little glitch we had to kind of reconnect it all. I uh, appreciate because we could go on. You and I could go on all day here. We could. But I, I want to I go into this here before, we, and we'll wrap it up with this. They're, they're embracing now, certainly under Stevie Cohen, they're embracing their history. They retired Jerry Kuzman's number last year. They're going to retire Hernandez's number this year. Obviously, Seaver and Piazza were up there already. All of you know, Gil Hodges, the whole thing, Casey, all of that. Jackie's up everywhere. We know that. They got to retire Doc and Darrell. I mean, I, and I will say this at some point while they're alive, you know, I mean, I like to see Gary Carter go up there too, but Gary Carter's passed already. You know, I want to see him up at some point, but he's not here now. I want to see, I want to see Doc and Darrell go up where they belong because they were such a key part of this franchise before while they're still walking the earth. I really, well, the one no brainer that is going to happen eventually. just don't don't know when no brainer is David Wright. Number five will be retired. Uh, He will be, and he deserves to be. Uh, And, and I look, he didn't bring, he wasn't part of any championship Mets team, but um, this was a guy who, Embraced being a Met was a Met his entire career and holds a ton of records and just is well he's going up. David's gonna be there. There's no so he's the he's the one no-brainer. Gary Carter is should be a no-brainer, but I think of him as much as a Montreal Expo sure. Sure. as I do as a New York Met. That being said, okay, you know, we we honor him as well. Um Doc and Daryl, the argument would be, well. Didn't end well for either of them. You know, Daryl is Daryl really especially because, you know, Daryl wanted out. You know, I want any, any I'm sure he well, did. Frank Cash should push him. I mean, I, you, I, you he, don't want to get me going on Frank Cash in here because Frank Cash yeah. pushed him out the door. Let's be Yeah, honest. yeah. But it was, you know, I I agree. Frank Cash and you know, he was he was a Kermigian and, you know, he, he, yes. he was obstinate, hard headed, stubborn, whatever word you want to use. So he certainly bears a lot of responsibility in how that ended. But Daryl was headstrong. And, uh, and he, you know, he talked, you know, a lot of smack about, you know, I'm an LA guy. I'm like, well, it didn't end well. And, and Doc, we know what happened with Doc as well. So you can make the argument that, all right, really, and the history of them and the personal stuff, you got to con- put that in a mix. All that being said, these two guys were responsible for arguably the most exciting era in New York Mets baseball. No question. Those two guys. And, no and they were both, they were both Mets, you know, yep. both, uh, you know, we, we brought in Keith Hernandez, one of the greatest trades in baseball history. Absolutely. Brought in Gary Carter, another great trade, but Doc and Daryl were our guys. I remember driving in the middle of a summer night show uh, listening to, it was the Mets on the West Coast, and Bob Murphy was giving some, I think, I'm going to say Kingsport, I'm really bad with this stuff, but I think Doc was pitching with Kingsport, and he had struck out that, there's 300 batter at the, you know, I don't like know. Like 190 was, innings or whatever the hell it was. And I remember hearing this, I'm like, holy crap, <laughs> like, I don't give a damn if it's American Legion baseball. Right. I said, holy crap. And that's when the name, you know, I'm like, okay. And then Strawberry, from the moment that we drafted him, it was, okay, 
Yeah. Daryl Strawberry. Just the name the, of the it, Black yeah. Ted, the Black Ted Williams, right? right. Remember that? Heard that from and almost didn't draft him too. Oh my, almost didn't draft him. Right. Almost right. drafted the other Billy Bean. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, we know. And they, and they ended up drafting the other Billy Bean anyway. Right. Anyway. Right. Anyway, my point is, we knew from the moment, and and I'm the same as you in this regard. Our guys, you know, they were Mets. No question. They were Mets, and then Doc delivers in a big way, and Daryl. You know, delivers. He Daryl's a little bit more all over the map, but he delivered. And they were both part of an '80s championship that not only was a, a Mets championship, is one of the most memorable championship no question seasons in the history of Major League Baseball. That's not no an exaggeration. No. What that team did that year, and then the way they won the World Series, the way they that Astros series, that is just one of the greatest baseball championships in the history of this game. And those two were integral to it. They're our guys just based on that, retire their damn numbers. That's, no question. Do it, do it, do it and do it, do it now. So we can enjoy it the same right. way. They finally came through for you, Joe. Oh, On the Seaver statue. This oh, opening my day. But about uh, long overdue, Bob, you know that. This, long overdue. I'll never, uh, I, uh, I, I, there are, I, I worked till four in the morning the previous night, the day actually, uh, on opening day this year, Mets City Field. And uh, I tell people there are a few, there are a few Mets that I would have three or four hours sleep because I had to get up early. But, but, but that was a no brainer. I was going to be there at that ceremony and, and, and take it all in and got emotional. And you know, people say, "How can you get emotional over you know a baseball?" Player? Uh, you, well, then, then you don't understand. I got, I got emotional watching it on TV, so I I get it. I I'm totally yeah, I know I know you do, and but I mm -hmm. know you, you have been for years saying yeah. give him a statue. And look, we got give credit where credit is due. It was the Wilpons who yes, commissioned finally. that statue. Took him so long they get credit. And, you know, they, they, they absolutely were late to the party in embracing the history of this franchise and this great history. And they finally made right by getting that statue there. And I'll tell you what, it took a long time, Joe, but they, that, that statue is beautiful. Stellar. They did a great job. And, and, so Bobby, this, and let me say this, cause I'm running out of time and I want to, I want to, I want to get out of here before we get cut off. Okay. Yeah. We don't want that happening. Uh, there should be a statue for you as well. You're one of the all-time greats. <laughs> no, but what, seriously, you're an all-time great guy. You're synonymous with the fan. Uh, I'm glad you're still doing a little work with them. I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we'll we'll talk. We've been talking a lot. We'll get together. We'll go to a game. We'll do something. And we'll have you on again. I want to thank you so much. The great Bob Usla. Bobby, all the love, Bob. Let's go Mets. All the love, Joe. Let me tell you, it was an honor being on with you. And one of the great, great pleasures of my professional career has been working with people like you and then becoming friends with people like you. And, uh, as I said, it's, uh, it's been not only a pleasure, but just an honor being on with you. I love it. And love you and everything you have represented for the New York fans over these years. Thanks for having me. Bobby, thank you. God bless the great Bob Usler. All right, before I uh, got to cut out, let me just get a couple more of my, uh, my sponsors in here, give a little more love to everybody. I uh, want to thank my buddy Kenny Zor, KZ Sports Marketing. Uh, you know the deal with him. He helped me book guests. Uh, we've had a couple guys on courtesy of Kenny already. We had Bruce Hopper at our, uh, our uh, 
sidebar uh, live sportscast, a live uh, podcast the other day. Uh, we also had Wesley Walker. We had Eric McMillan. want to thank Kenny. If you're looking to secure your favorite athlete or celebrity for any event, could be a charity function, corporate golf outing, in-store autograph appearance, give Kenny at KZ Sports Marketing a call, 516-996-7616, or visit kzsportsmarketing.com. Again, 516-996-7616. Also, the sidebar, Hackensack, New Jersey, 45 Main Street. Go check it out. Uh, we had the live podcast. want to thank them again for that last Tuesday. Go see Seth. They got great food there. You want to get a lamb burger, the place to go is the, is the uh, sidebar, 45 Main Street in Hackensack. Go check out Seth. Go tell him Beningo sent you. Great place. Got that little speakeasy feel to it. Got all the TVs for all the sports. Check it out and uh, go enjoy it over there. Go say hello to Seth. Tell him Joe sent you the uh, sidebar in uh, Hackensack, New Jersey. Everybody have a great week. Bobby, thank you again. God bless Bob Busel. God bless everybody. All the love. Enjoy your week. Uh, I'll be back on Friday for my little sports rant, the Friday sports sermon, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Everybody, all the love.